When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning, how are you? The countdown is well and truly on for Christmas. Hope you've got everything sorted. If you don't, the Midlands 103 Advent calendar continues. Lots of opportunities to win this week. Coming up today, solving a murder that took place in County Leash over 30 years ago. A woman's daughter believes the person who killed her is walking around Port Leash. There's been a spike in bogus texts, no doubt from delivery companies or pretending to be from delivery companies. The Crime Prevention Officer for the Midlands is here, as we hope will be the Irish Farmers Association President, the outgoing President, Tim Cullinan, as a supermarket price war could benefit families coming into Christmas. But farmers may not be too impressed. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And that price war is the main story on the Irish Independent today, which says uh, supermarkets have cut the prices on seasonal ingredients such as turkey, ham, a range of vegetables... And some of these may be loss leaders, and it's all to try and get you through the door. So, for example, the €9 turkey sprouts for 49 cent. And if you pick up a copy of the Irish Independent today, it goes supermarket by supermarket, who is selling what and at what price, and you can really make some savings here. The Galway Hotel Fire has been condemned by the Taoiseach, indeed by uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, by Michal Martin and others. This is in Uchterard, where Gorthy are investigating whether the fire was set deliberately to prevent the hotel being used for refugee accommodation. Now, let's hear some points of view on this. The Taoiseach says there's no justification for violence, arson or vandalism in our republic ever. However, two Fianna Fáil councillors in County Galway have blamed the government for creating tension locally over the accommodation of refugees. Councillor Seamus Walsh says if it was a criminal act, what made that criminal act happen? It was the senseless policy of government. If it was done maliciously, it was absolutely the fear for the safety and well-being of their families that drove people to do this. And his colleague, Councillor Noel Thomas, also said government was failing to listen to people. So, I'm sure you'll have your own take on whether the ends justify the means, if it was arson. More locally, the Gorthy have brought the cold case unit into County Leash to begin a fresh investigation into the murder of a 35-year-old woman whose strangled body was found in a bog more than 25 years ago. Marie Kilmartin, or Mary Kilmartin, some people know her as, she was originally from Ballinasloe but had been living in Port Leash. 
when she disappeared in December of 1993 and her body was found six months later in a bog drain on the border of Leash and Offaly. And so last week at the Central Criminal Court, a detective made an application for interviews Gorthy had with the chief suspect in the case to be transferred to DVD from the VCR tapes they were originally captured on. And so the belief is that it is still a live and active investigation that Gorthy are trying to preserve all of the evidence. And so the Serious Crime Review Team, which is commonly known as the Cold Case Unit, they are expected to focus on this very heavily in the weeks and months ahead. Now, you'll hear from her daughter a little bit later as to this latest development and what it means for the family. Another criminal case the former Fine Gael politician and showband star who has admitted laundering more than 2.6 million euro. His story in the Irish Independent today, councillor or former councillor Frank Kilbride. Now Frank is 69 for the record and of Banalalee in County Longford and he has pleaded guilty to three counts of money laundering before Longford District Court. But according to the Irish Independent, he uh, has was involved with Cyril McGuinness. Now, Cyril McGuinness was also known as Dublin Jimmy, and he was suspected of being involved in this scheme. Mr McGuinness was centrally involved in the attacks on Quinn Industrial Holdings. You remember the awful kidnapping and torture of Kevin Lunny some years ago, and Mr McGuinness subsequently died when confronted by police in the UK. But he, according to the Irish Independent, is somehow involved in the Frank Kilbride case. And Mr Kilbride remains uh, before the court and we will obviously follow that story with interest. There is a loophole being exploited by many drivers to avoid being struck off for six months. So if you have a high number of penalty points and you fear that the next time you're caught you are going to reach the 12 maximum and lose the licence for a period, you can ask your solicitor to represent you in court and to ask, rather than have a six-month disqualification, to opt for a 24-hour ban instead. And there have been a number of people using this loophole They are put off the road technically, but only for a day. And Judge Desmond Zayden in Nace District Court seems to be going along with this loophole, which many in the political arena have condemned, and they say that this should be closed off. Now, why the loophole exists or what the judge's rationale is for facilitating these requests, I don't know but it would appear he is under a lot of pressure with the caseload before him and is trying to get through as many as possible. So the Minister for Transport is being told you need to do something about this by politicians of all persuasions and none. You can read more in the Irish Independent today. A couple of stories very, very quickly from the showbiz world. Dancing with the Stars will soon be back on your television. And according to one of the 
Judges, Brian Redmond, it is high time viewers embrace social media influencers on the show. The bosses, apparently, they are changing their definition of what a star is. And I think in Ireland we have very few genuine stars. And other than raiding the RTE canteen again and again and again, what is the show to do? So according to Brian Redmond, it's time they turned to social media and brought some influencers in. Miriam Mullins will be one of those who takes part. And I have to confess, I'd have to look her up. I don't know who she is. But hey, such is the nature of the beast. People you will recognise, certain amount of Midlands interest. Eileen Dunn, who has leash connections, as you know. And Rory uh, from Mrs Brown's Boys. He lived in Athlone for many, many years. So there are plenty of reasons to tune in. But they are eventually, if they stick with traditional stars, they are going to run out of talent. And I imagine you can send your smart joke uh, with the punchline, please, to 083 30 10 103 on that. Anyway, that concludes what's in the papers. There's not a lot happening, is there, really, in the grand scheme. We're coming into Christmas. So, what's on our agenda today? Let's leave the national newspapers to one side. That appeal to you for information going back nearly 30 years to the disappearance of Marie or Mary Kilmartin from County Leash and what will happen next when the cold case unit comes in. The crime prevention officer here in the Midlands who wants you to beware of the bogus text, especially coming into Christmas as you expect perhaps parcels through the post and an all-Ireland celebration in our local sports review. Fancy spending €100 Euro with the award-winning Shane Marr Butchers on Upper Main Street in Moat. This is a modern butcher shop that maintains the traditional values of the trade. So that's our top prize on the Midlands 103 Advent Calendar today. Check out midlands103.com for more details. Marty in Clara says, Will, there is no justification for the fire at the hotel in Galway, if it was lit deliberately. However, it shows people are getting tired of all of the asylum seekers coming into this country. We have our own issues to deal with, from homelessness to health and so on. And I think this is going to be a huge talking point coming into local, European and possibly a general election in 2024, whether we have the capacity to take any more. Rightly or wrongly, it's not necessarily going to be a very pleasant discussion, but it's one that I think people want to have and want to feel they have a say in. Am I wrong? 083 30 10 103 on text to Don WhatsApp. Next, Gorthy are asking for your help in an investigation that goes back 30 years the disappearance of Marie or Mary Kilmartin and the cold case unit, as they're commonly known, will be working on this into 2024. You'll hear from 
Inspector Brian Farrell after these. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. The Schlieve Bloom sponsored walk in aid of the Leash Hospice Foundation takes place in Clonisley on St. Stephen's Day. The long walk starts from the Clonisley Community Centre at 12 noon, the short walk at 1pm. Volunteers are needed, so please help out if you can and there will be refreshments in the community centre after both walks. So check out Clonisley St. Stephen's Day Walk on Facebook for more details. Roscore Clinic treats and supports RSV, flu, pneumonia, bronchitis, COPD, as well as a range of digestive issues, skin, muscle and joint problems, cancer support, and general men's, women's, children's and infants' health. With evening appointments available, see Emmett Walsh, or Eva Rafalovska. The number is 0579355844 or online at medicalherbalist.ie. Moat Community Association holds a monster Christmas bingo, finishing this week, 8 pm, this Wednesday, in Moat Community Hall, with a huge Christmas jackpot of €5,750, sit beside prizes, a super jackpot sheet, page 10 and flyer games. And for even more chances to win, check out Moat Sports and Recreation on Facebook. And finally, for now, St. Mary's Church of Ireland in Shinrone presents The Longest Night, reflections on the season of Advent in word and music. And it's happening on Thursday evening, half past seven, and it's a free event, so all are welcome. The Community Diary is online at midlands103.com. Did I miss something in your area? Well, just pick up that phone. Tell us all about it. 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Gordy are appealing for your help as part of their investigation into the murder of Mary Kilmartin in County Leash 30 years ago. She was last seen on the 16th of December 1993. Her body wasn't found until June of the following year. Detective Inspector Brian Farrell in Port Leash Garda Station has been telling Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble how anybody with information can and should contact the Gorthy. So we know that uh, Mary Kilmartin was dropped home from where she was volunteering at Portlaoise Day Care Centre in New Road, Portlaoise, to her home in Balad, arriving home at approximately 4.10pm on the 16th of December 1993. And was there any other sightings of her after that time? There was no confirmed sightings after that time. That's the last confirmed sighting at 4.10pm on, on that day. And was there a phone call made to the house on that day to give us a rough estimate of the time or is that based on the time that she was dropped home at? That's based on the time that somebody saw her, last saw her. So there is a phone call to the house where she was uh, where she was living at that time, uh, soon after that. Uh, and we we know that it was answered and that there was uh, a connection for approximately two and a half minutes. But we don't know who was talking to who on that phone call. When Mary was reported missing, an investigation was launched into her disappearance. But it wasn't for several months, uh, it was June of the following year, that her body was found. 
Uh, that's correct. Uh, 10th of June, 1994, it was found by by somebody I was walking in a, in down the lane off uh, a bog off the Melek Port Harrington Road. There had been extensive searches in the Portiche area, but unfortunately it was June 1994 by the time Marie's uh, body was found. And was a murder investigation launched immediately at that time? It was. So a, a large-scale missing person invest, uh, investigation had been ongoing and once Marie's body was found, a murder investigation was launched, an extensive uh, an extensive investigation. It's now 30 years on since Mary's disappearance and there has been a number of arrests made over the years but nobody has been charged. So where does the case stand now? Well the case, as, as you say, nobody has been charged. Arrests were made in 1994 and 2008. Uh, Gardy are still uh, would appeal to anyone who may have information in regards to the case to come forward to them uh, with the passage of time. Uh, some per- people may now be in a position to provide information that they might not have comfortable providing back in back in the previous years and any information provided will be treated with the utmost confidence. And do you know what Mary Kilmartin was doing on the day of her disappearance? Are there any sightings of her earlier in that, in that day that may jog people's memories? She had been where she, as I said, where she volunteers at Portage Daycare Centre. I believe there had been a Christmas lunch there and she was in good form and she was very well liked there and that she'd been dropped home after that. The appeal for information about Mary's disappearance and her murder was renewed on Saturday on the 30th anniversary of her disappearance. What are you asking for people to do? We're asking for anybody who has any little bit of information no matter if they think it's important or not, to come forward to Angarda Chicana, either at the Portage Garda station on 057-867-4100 or the Garda Confidential Line, uh, 1-800-666-111 or any Garda station. Any bit of information could help Angarda Chicana solve this murder. And that is Detective Inspector Brian Farrell. Mary's daughter, Anya, believes somebody is walking around Portleash who knows what happened to her mother. She's been telling Midlands 103, Sinead Hubble, that she only wants justice. I want a cold case review to be started. I have um, given a list of questions to Drew Harris. Um, I'm waiting five years for the answers to them. Um, I also have given a list of questions to the guards and I'm waiting the answer to all of those questions also. So it is a cold case that I'm looking for. It's 30 years since Mary went missing, was murdered, left in a cold bog in Baroness. And there has just been such a lack of respect. There was an inquest while a murder investigation was being carried out. Uh, That was in 1995, which is very unusual. What do you know about your mother's disappearance? Mary was left home to her house on the 16th of December and uh, I find it very hard to believe um, you know that I've heard so many different stories over the years um, but in reference to what happened to Mary that day um, there's actually no 
recorded sighting of Mary after Mary went into that house. It's a very hard situation because nobody really knows what happened to Mary. I was 13 at the time um, and I found out when Mary, when I was 20, that Mary was my mother. What's the impact on you after all these years not finding out any answers about what happened to Mary? It's been hard over the years trying to find the truth. I'm on my own trying to find answers and uh, that has affected me over the years but it has also, it's made me stronger uh, to be able to do it on my own and um, you know, not to have to depend on other people. So in a way, it's, it helps me not depend on others. I'm appealing for people to rack their consciences, hand their, and their brains. Um, around that time, Mary had a terrier called Buttons. And, you know, did they see... Mary, had she knocked on doors to see if if her dog Buttons was missing? Um, and really what I want is to solve this murder. You know, it's it's too long. It's 30 years. It's my mother. Like, this is my mother we're talking about. And the lack of respect into murder over the years and continuously to this day is, it's, it's unreal. And on a number of occasions, you've handed out leaflets in Port Leash, making that appeal for information. Yes. Um, so last Saturday, I handed out the leaflets in Port Leash, and also uh, in December two thousand and six, uh, I also handed out leaflets. And um, there has been a lot of positive feedback from people about Mary. They have very good memories. There are. Uh, quite a lot of uh, people of, who are elderly who have really good fond memories of Mary, uh, especially those living in Balad. And have you been able to grieve for Mary or has the campaign to find out what happened to her stopped you from doing that? Well, the process has been ongoing. So, I have been able to grieve and let go and accept, um, but in line with that, there still needs to be answers and truths because there's someone or someone's walking around Port Leash every day of the week or sitting in their flat or their house, and they know well what happened. The thought that someone could be so evil to actually not even consider that Mary had a daughter and then Mary still has a daughter and that Mary deserves justice. And that is Mary's daughter, Anya, speaking with Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble. So our thoughts are with them at this time because it will be very raw and very fresh 30 years on the disappearance of, in Anya's case, her mum. But expect to hear more about this cold case review into 2024. Now, still on the agenda today, an all-Ireland to celebrate here in the Midlands, plus a supermarket price war, and how you can benefit from this coming into Christmas week. But next, 
the spike in bogus text messages claiming to be from delivery companies. How do you separate the fact from the fiction? The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Ugh. Be glad you don't live in Dublin or else you may have been subjected to this scam. As reported on DublinLive.ie, in the Rahini area, you might have found a dead rat in your garden. And so when, by coincidence, people call to your door a day or two later and offer to cut your hedges, you are naturally more inclined to let them do it. And then, lo and behold, these tradespeople say they've found rats' nests which you then have to pay over €2,500 to deal with. Only it was them who put the rat there in the first place. Ugh. Anyway, that's what the Gorthy in Dublin have on their hands. Thankfully not here in the Midlands, but nevertheless, given the time of year and so many deliveries coming through the post, there has been an explosion in text messages claiming that you owe money on a parcel when in fact you don't. Sergeant Graeme Kavanagh is the Crime Prevention Officer in Leash Offaly. Graeme, good morning. Good morning, Will. And that, that's it. Sorry, it just goes to show you the depth that they will go to either online or in, in the real world to try and take your money. Oh, stop. I, I have a shudder after it. And again, apologies to listeners of a sensitive disposition, but you're better off knowing rather than being in the dark about these things. When it comes to packages, I have to confess, I'm ignoring every single message I get at this yeah. stage. There may be some genuine presence held up as a result. But what's the best policy? Yeah, so probably you're right. Um, I get them too. We all get them. Um, I get them. I, apparently, I'm a mother now and I have a daughter that needs money. So I'm getting them texts and WhatsApps. Um, we spoke about it a number of months ago. Um, so I, like you, probably order quite a lot online. And I probably will be giving out if we're doing that because the one thing I want to suppose I should have said at the start, we should be shopping local, uh, looking after a local business that have been good to us, you know. But sometimes there are situations where you have to order online, and that could be ordered within in Ireland, outside of Ireland, or in the UK, for example. Um, and you can still and, support local, by the way. Like I've yeah. an order from Guy Clothing, their new website. Yeah. It's just yeah. handy. Um, but because you can shop local or indeed shop online in general, you are going to rely on the delivery and therefore yeah. it becomes plausible that you get the text. So generally when you order online, so I'll tell you, from if I order from, for example, on post and I need to pay some duty on it, they leave a, a card or an envelope in the letterbox and it means you have to go onto the Unpost website or you call to the local post office to pay that duty. Um they don't send you a text to tell you that you owe money. So all the providers will tell you the same thing. Whatever the delivery company is, they'll all tell you the same thing. They don't send a text to you looking for you to follow a link to pay information or to pay money over. Generally, when you order online, if there's some sort of charge, you'll pay that at the point of purchase, not via a text message with a link in it. So it's the same advice. No matter what message you get, whether it's email or text or WhatsApp, wherever it is, if there's links in it asking you to follow, to pay money over, to give personal information, ignore it. That's not the way any of these people operate. Now, unfortunately, what you do have is you have people using social media platforms that are selling items that maybe are hard to get or maybe they're quite expensive and they're offering deals on them. Mm. And generally, that's where people are falling down. They're going onto marketplaces. They're thinking they're buying something and they don't know who they're buying it from. 
and then they we end up getting reports that they're down five or six hundred euro for maybe a high end phone they thought they were getting for a steal, and there's nothing there. Um, so that's generally where we're seeing the side of it. We still do pe- we see probably on a daily basis people receiving text messages and it goes back to the old advice that we always say is if you get a text they're generally relying there's a matter of urgency in the message you're panicking and especially at this time of year if you try to go online now to order something for example on Amazon there's no deliveries till after Christmas so you can see where somebody's actually in a panic now to get something before Christmas Eve they might go on to I suppose um, not a legitimate website and lose money off the back of it or they might follow a link because it says you can get this delivery before Christmas if you follow the link and pay this duty or this money. Yeah, you can pay a premium and therefore get yeah. faster yeah. delivery. And yeah. sometimes I've noticed these websites use sponsored posts on yeah. Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And you assume if it's sponsored that it's in some way approved and vetted by uh, the platform. But really, they're just looking at a very superficial level to see is it a political ad is it a sensitive ad they will generally let it through so long as the page has been set up and has gone through their entry process yeah, yeah. so they'll use well household names that that well, it will obviously endorse that and they think it must be all right then you know and will knows nothing about it but the scam artists or the fraudsters are using the good name to try and sell something that doesn't exist, whether it's a product, whether it's insurance, whether it's cheap holidays or maybe a high-end phone or something like that, you know. So I suppose the really simple things, and I always try and bring it back to the simple thing, if you're buying things online, stick to the reputable websites. Any of the reputable delivery companies will not send you a text to tell you that you owe money. You'll generally pay it at the point of purchase or you'll be left a note, for example, to go to the post office to pay that or to pay it on, on post website. Um, but again, it's what we are seeing, unfortunately, is people, I suppose, buying again off social media platforms, off through different platforms and then falling foul to being defrauded or scammed their own money. Graham, as always, thank you very much for your advice and a very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you and yours, Will. Graham Kavanagh, Sergeant Graham Kavanagh, is the Crime Prevention Officer in Leash Offaly. When you call 0818 300 103 is the Midlands 103 comment line or you can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Getting you in a feel-good festive mood with another Christmas hit. With Corcoran Hearing, Arden Road, Tullamore. Avoid noise-induced hearing loss with custom-made ear moulds. Hear better, work safer. Find Corcoran Hearing on Facebook. Midlands 103. Very, very different views from listeners on the events in Galway, the suspected arson at a hotel that was intended for the asylum seekers. A caller says, Will, is there no cap on how many people come into the country? Because we obviously have limits when it comes to housing and health care, and I have a concern that there will be huge resentment in our country. Government needs to sit down and think about this, or... Has greed taken a leading role here, asks Brenda. I presume that's greed when it comes to some of the private sector operators who cash in on this process. But Damien takes, or Declan rather, Declan takes a different view, listening to those who would attempt to defend the burning of a hotel for asylum seekers reveals the current 
nasty, racist, self-serving aspect of Irish society, he says. There is no justification for acts of violence and people who are claiming they are frustrated by the circumstances, in all likelihood, some of their previous generations were forced to emigrate from Ireland due to recession and hardship, and imagine if they had been greeted by the same level of hate that is directed towards migrants in Ireland today. Shame on the bigots who are dragging this country into the gutter, is his message. Love the Midlands? Good morning. They're still on the agenda today. An All-Ireland to celebrate here in the Midlands. And if ever Ireland was to establish a music museum, should Mullingar be its home? When you consider Joe Dolan and Brezzy and Niall Horan and Foster and Allen, the list goes on and on and on. But is it a pipe dream or could it become a reality? We'll look more closely at a quarter to twelve. On text... In response to Declan's earlier comment about how how we might feel if Irish people who had emigrated were subjected to the type of hateful dialogue that sometimes accompanies the immigration debate here, Patricia Inkelbegin says, Do, does he not remember the 60s in England when they had notices in the shops, no blacks and no Irish? And I also heard, she says, in Poland not so long ago, there was an anti-Irish sentiment. So it has happened in the past, she says. Uh, James, concerning the rat scam we discussed 15 minutes ago, he's always more concerned, he says, about the two-legged variety of rat rather than the four-legged one. And there were the predictable jokes as well about Leinster House in that regard, and thank you for the messages. Anyway, let's move on. A supermarket price war. The Irish Independent has done some research among Duns and Aldi and Supervalue and Tesco to find what sort of offers you can expect this week. For instance, seasonal veg such as sprouts, carrots, onions and parsnips going for 49 cent a bag. For turkey and ham, Aldi from Wednesday will be selling three kilo fresh turkeys for nine euro. Lidl likewise. So you've got the supermarkets very much selling what would appear on the surface to be below cost. But are they taking the hit or is it the producer who will be out of pocket? Well, Tim Cullinan is the outgoing president of the Irish Farmers Association. Tim, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Will. So what tends to happen when the supermarkets take aim at each other like this? Who takes the hit? Yeah, I suppose, first of all, I suppose, looking at all of this, Will, and actually I was out on a horticulture farm last week in North County, Dublin. As we know, they're one sector that we're losing. Uh, those uh, group of farmers year after year, we're down now less than 100 farmers producing horticulture or vegetables here in this country. So look, there's a combination. A lot of this some of the time, a retailer will take some of the hit on, on, on price promotions or below-cost selling, but always it leads back to the primary producer as well. And, you know, we're in an era now that everybody is looking for sustainable food and we all understand our obligations around climate change. And no one has been better coming to the fore on this than farmers. But at a cost, and, you know, we've heard governments saying they're going to support farmers, 
there will be more funding around ensuring that we produce sustainable food here in Ireland, which we are doing. But we, so we have had no intervention or funding from government. And here we are. So we, if you look at it over the last 10 year period, there was no uh, food or there was no inflation in, 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 in food. 0.3% actually was the figure where CPI or general inflation was running between 6 and 7%. And for the first time this year, there was a price increase in the price of uh, food. And you know, farmers had been dealing with massive increases in the cost of production over the last two years since the onset of the war in Ukraine. And here we are, just when uh, there was somewhat of a reprieve coming for farmers, retailers they started this last summer again with dairy produce. And you know, I think it's absolutely a shame coming up to Christmas week and, and you know, dropping the price to the floor again. And what happens in but these situations If I may interrupt you, Tim, Tim down, I'm, I'm sorry, because there are going to be listeners who coming into Christmas week are absolutely stretched because of the season, are stretched because of all the cost of living pressures that are well documented around energy and interest rates and food as as well. And they are going to be relieved by this. Yeah, well, look, and I said that at the onset, look, and we all understand the pressures that's on the general economy and on uh, consumers. You know, it's been a challenging year for everybody, you're right. But my point is, we've been asked to produce sustainable food, reducing emissions. We, as a sector overall, are doing that, but we've had no support from nobody. And retailers are, you know, they're out there and they're selling very sustainable food. And just, you, you, you speak about you know, what people had to endure this year. Uh, horticulture farmers had to resort back to pulling their vegetables by hand because they can't get the machinery into the fields. So, no, that, so that's what's happening out there at the moment to ensure that they have top quality produce, Brussels sprouts, turnips, carrots, parsnips, you name it, on the retail shelves, fresh on a, on, a, on a daily basis coming up to the Christmas period. And so anybody that buys in turkeys and feed turkeys and, and see them selling for €9, Euros, so in this day and age, it, it just it's just not practical, Will. You know, that's the point I want to make. And I suppose what's important here as well is Last week, you had the announcement eventually by Minister McConnell Logue that uh, he had appointed uh, Neve Lenahan uh, as the CEO of the food regulator. And he also has established a board around that now. So I think it's critically important now that there is a root and branch investigation of you know, what I would call a dysfunctional food supply chain system. You, know, you need to look at this from the start of the chain, the primary producer, right through to the point of sale where the consumer is buying. And it's about bringing fairness. And, you know, if you look around the country, we've seen a massive growth in, in the larger discounter retailers. And and the other points I made earlier, you're seeing a reduction in the amount of people that are growing um, vegetables or horticultural produce in this country. So it tells its own story. All right, Tim, grateful for your time. I'm mindful, of course, your term is coming to an end and indeed Leishman Francie Gorman will be taking over the reins in the new year. Uh, what are your final reflections as you hand over those reins? Yeah, yeah. I suppose, look, just before I, I first of all, I want to wish Francie the very, very best of luck in his term as president and you know, done very well in the election campaign. And for the first time ever, we have a deputy lady president coming into IFA, Alice Doyle, and, and both of them and on all of the new team, I want to wish them the very, very, very best of luck. Look, I suppose for myself, it's been obviously 
uh, a privilege and an honour to lead the organisation for the last four years, 72,000 members. And it was through a very difficult period, obviously, with COVID. We had cap reform. We had envir- uh, the whole environmental piece you know, where a decision was made on targets that farmers have to to achieve. And thankfully, I can say we're doing that currently. And obviously, with the two wars, you, the Russian invasion in Ukraine and what's happening in Gaza, this all has impacts, obviously, on agriculture and trade. So, look, it's been obviously lots of challenges. But as I say, to be out there and representing farmers uh, is an excellent uh, an excellent, an excellent position to have, and uh, look, as I say, hopefully that Francie and the team com, com, coming in can continue and deliver for farmers into the future. Tim Cullinan, thanks for your time. He is the outgoing president of the Irish Farmers Association and hails from Toomeyvara in County Tipperary. Joe in Kilcormac wants to warn anybody who is tempted to send cash in the card. Asher, it's Christmas, it'll get there, it'll be fine. He says a relative sent a card with a 50 euro note inside it, but there was no money in the envelope when it arrived. So just keep that in the back of your head. Letting the guard down at Christmas is never a good idea. Will, can you mention those prices again? (laughs) Well... You can find them in the Irish Independent. They've looked at Dunn's, Aldi, Supervalue, Tesco. So the veg are all being advertised by the four, the big four, at 49 cent a bag. Turkeys, Lidl and Aldi, at different stages in the week, will be selling them for €9. Euro. This is for a three-kilo turkey, an eight-kilo bird, €35. Euro. Tesco says its dinner offer means a family of five can have Christmas dinner with all the trimmings for €26.07. Right. Can you? When you look at your own shopping, can you make sense of that? And do you have a difficulty if the farmer, if the primary producer doesn't get a fair return for all of their time? Anyway, coming up on quarter past 11, we turn our attention to an All-Ireland success for St. Munna's and great celebration and richly deserved there. Everything else that happened over the weekend of sport as well. Plus, at a quarter to 12, two of Mullingar's best-known musicians are coming out in favour of a museum of music being created in the town. And if ever there was a place in Ireland that could lay claim as deserving of a music museum. Surely it is Mullingar. But is this all just a pipe dream? More in half an hour. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today. Back to the texts and the caller says it's time for the three parties in government to remove their leaders and their front bench. They have already caused a lot of harm. I assume that's in relation to the immigration debate or lack thereof. Angela has text to say opportunists are using the current unrest in Ireland to perform acts of arson. We have allowed the extremists to gain popularity and possibly power by our own lack of good practices. Obviously, 
We should not and do not always depend on government for leadership, but in this case, government needs to step up with genuine and sincere communication and engage with the public. In recent times, public engagement has become a social media digital online exercise. The powers that be like this, but it doesn't produce quality engagement or outcomes. Perhaps this is why they prefer it to real communication. Until we address this issue, we are laying the groundwork for the ill-informed, the naive and the extremists to engage in bad and sometimes illegal behaviour. In this case, leadership must come from politicians because the non-elected executives in the government departments are struggling with this for many reasons. Case in point, Angela. Last week, or the week before possibly, Carol Nolan, the independent TD, raised the issue of immigration in the Dáil. And could we find a single government representative to come on air and oppose her in the debate? No. Nor have they responded to any invitations on this recently from us. And I understand KFM and Kildare had a similar challenge. Now, related to this, will all we hear about housing for immigration, but what about work, asked Almond. I'm sick hearing people talking about the Irish. They went abroad for work and for all the reasons. And let's not lose sight of that either, though, Stephen. The vast majority of people coming to Ireland are coming here to work. And all of the evidence, all of the CSO statistics show that. Now, that's where they apply for a visa and they come from safe countries and so on. It may not be the case in the asylum process and we don't know for sure the reasons. Are they all leaving their countries because of persecution? Is there some economic attraction here? The welfare system, even Leo Varadkar has talked about that being perhaps a pull factor. But when you consider all of the different countries around the world and the people who come to Ireland, the vast majority do work. You see them in hospitals, you see them in hospitality, in so many different areas, even the tech industry. John in Port Leash says, Well, I lived in England for more than 10 years. If you didn't work, you didn't get paid. And there was plenty of abuse of the Irish. And you had to be very careful where you went and what you said. That was only in the 1980s, he says. Something has to give. And these greedy supermarkets will never beat homegrown quality. I like your thinking, Robert. You enjoy that vegetable patch. Now, next, an, an All-Ireland win. It's not often we get to celebrate one of those here in the Midlands. And could we soon be celebrating a museum of music? And if ever there was a place to locate it, surely Mullingar is top of that list. But is this a realistic proposal, one that actually will come true, or is it just another piece of wishful thinking? Let's discuss in 15 minutes. The Monday Sports Review, Midlands Today on Midlands 183. David Hollywood is here from the Midlands 103 Sports Department and naturally we will begin our review with Gaelic Games. Yes. And the end of a remarkable career with... Uh, <coughs> um, actually, we'll, we'll not talk about that just right now. We'll start with the good news. The good news being St. Munna's and an All-Ireland Junior B Camogie title coming home to the Midlands. 
and comfortably as well against formidable opposition in Cross Maglen Rangers. So take us through that game. Yeah, it was a fantastic performance by St. Munna's and I think it's important to highlight that first and foremost, how difficult it is uh, for big games like that for players to get their heads around it and actually perform as they would actually want to. It's a really interesting context coming into this game where both St. Munna's and Cross McGlen had won their All-Ireland semi-finals and their uh, respective provincial finals uh, by massive margins. So whatever advantages or more pertinently disadvantages that that would confer were being equally applied. Were they both undercooked? Maybe, but they were both in the same position, arguably at least. So both teams, they operate outside of each other's orbit as well, Ulster and Leinster. They really wouldn't have come across each other mm. in the course of any sort of campaign. And I know Rena McConville, who's uh, the niece of Ushin McConville, she uh, hurls for the... Uh, Cross McGlenn Rangers and she was saying she didn't know anything about St. Munna's just have to focus on ourselves and, and St. Munna's were saying likewise so that was the situation going into the game when it came to the context uh, contest itself it didn't disappoint it essentially went score for score in the first period St. Munna's struck what felt like a decisive blow first they scored the game's first goal when uh, they were level at three points apiece Sandra McGrath uh, scored from a fair ways out with the ball that a few people, I think, lost the flight of um, in the air and dropped into the back of the net. Uh, pretty quickly, the scores were level again. This time, Cross McGlenn managed to find a way past Bridget Levy uh, through Eva Cassidy. And you thought, OK, they've gotten a go just before half time. Levy, by the way, made a number of really important saves. Uh, Sandra McGrath uh, managed to get uh, a crucial goal uh, just before uh, half time. And that was it. Like St. Munna's weren't headed again. They they led the way all the way through to the full-time whistle. Second half was really physical, competitive. Cross McGlenn, they're a club that like only ever play to win. They're actually like a phenomenal community of GA people. They're famous across the country for how competitive they are, how successful they are, particularly in football. Uh, loads of the Cross McGlenn uh, Camogie players will be dual-code footballers as well. But Munna's never buckled they didn't even bend an inch and that's that's really impressive they held Cross McGlenn off to secure a five point win and land an All-Ireland title to add to the Leinster and County crowns uh, they collected earlier this year Abby Ryle was named player of the match she was fielding just about everything in the game uh, first though let's hear from the club's captain um, making the victory speech here's an audibly thrilled Sheila McGrath <laughs> I suppose this is the best Christmas present any of us could have asked for this year and this All-Ireland final, do you know, it's a long time coming in our club. Do you know, I suppose all of us here today, we never got this chance and, do you know, we never know it might never come around again. So, as we said, going out onto this pitch, it was like leave nothing behind and that's what we did out there today. I suppose, as uh, Abby Rehill called those balls out of the sky, we could hear all the St. Monas support there, and that really lifted us across the line today. I'd like to thank all our supporters um, right through the year. I suppose it's made a huge asset to our team and shows the big community spirit around the area. I hope a lot of younger girls will look up to us and will want to keep playing camogie right throughout the years. 
Lastly, I'd like to thank Cross McGlenn. Uh, we knew coming in here today it was going to be a huge battle. We knew you didn't just get here by luck. We knew that you're going to be a great team, and that's what it showed out to there, there today. I suppose it just went to the bitter end, and we were lucky to get across the line. Three cheers for Cross McGlenn. Hip hip. Hip hip. Hip hip. I love that atmosphere. Yeah, it's it's kind of hair raising, isn't it? Their, their guttural joy uh, is is just absolutely brilliant to hear. There are great stories all over the park, but one I particularly like is Bridget Levy. She was struggling with an injury just before the game throw in, apparently receiving treatment behind the goal before the game started. Uh, she's the chair of the club and she was part of the previous wave of senior success at the club. Now they're at junior and they're rebuilding. She's in goal and she's seeing a new generation through and she kept goal really well as well and she spoke to Midlands 103's Jason Keelan after the game and here I think she literally sounds just like the picture of joy words can't describe it it's absolutely fantastic so it is it's, oh, it's what deals like these are made of it's it's just unbelievable I can't I can't describe it I'm kind of emotional I'm I don't know what way I am at the moment I'm sick actually now so I am I am I feel just oh my god it's done we're finished we're, we're all out of champions it's this day has co- has been coming a long, long time for myself, so it is. And Jesus, be part of that bunch of girls, and they're they're just phenomenal. So they are. It's it's unbelievable. Down to Paddy and Alan and everybody. It's just I can't I can't describe it. And you had a eight out of that thirteen in a row as well. So how does this feel compared to that? This is just unbelievable. As I had said earlier in the previous interview, um, I had the eight medals with. with the senior team back then and it, every one of them was just as good as the next and the next and so but the junior county final this year I, I can't describe it it's, it was we've been building and building and building for so long so we have and we've had rough 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 years so we have that it was a case of but it's just made it all the more here now so it is it's uh, yeah, all Ireland champion. It hasn't really set in yet, yeah. so it hasn't. It's a case of we will maybe later on, but yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. So it is. And uh, the final one, it's an incredible family affair in Munis, of oh. course. Well, yourself and husband and daughter, and then so many sisters on the team as well. It means so much to the village. It's a. It's uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. It's we've we've had this group behind us as well all our families have been there it's, it's just the family affair is is it's just everybody so it is I, it's it's just we're all one big family anyone with a red and white on them in there it, they're all the one family St Muna's family and very proud so we are that's brilliant yeah well apart from your unbelievable saves today you've had a fantastic season so Bridget congratulations all Ireland winner thanks so much thanks a million now our coverage of that game with thanks to Keenan Bauer Motors in Mullingar, your home for Citron and Honda in the Midlands, and you can see keenanbauer.com. Elsewhere, the lineup for the All Ireland Senior Club hurling final has been completed, and indeed, something for the champions of Offaly to reflect on, I think. Yeah, I think so. O'Loughlin Gales showed them where the level is at in terms of the Senior Provincial Championship this year particularly in the first half in Tullamore. Kilcomer Clyde got as far as the Leinster semi-final and it was the Kilkenny champions of Lachlan Gales that knocked them out and they knocked them out really in that first half. KK came back in the second period but ultimately 
they were kept at arm's reach. So what Kilcormick Lai can hold on to there is that if they get to the level that they have a vivid memory of now, you know, they know what they needed to do in that game if they review and reflect and so on, then they don't really have to go much further after that to be thinking in terms of All-Ireland finals because mm. that's where O'Loughlin Gales have won through to. Now, O'Loughlin Gales won by a point in the Leinster final against Nafina, the Dublin champions. They won by a point um, in the semi-final against... Um, uh, I keep on forgetting their name. I don't know why. Um, against Cushendall. age. Age, Thank my you. friend. The Antrim champions, Cushendall. It's been happening to me all morning. They will face St. Thomas's of Galway, uh, who beat Ballygunner. This was a surprise. An absolutely nuts game in Port Leash. Leash Hire Moor Park on Saturday hosted championship favourites, Ballygunner of Waterford and St. Thomas's of Galway. They were looking for their first All Ireland title since 2013. It was the Waterford champions who looked set for that decider. They hit the front in the closing stages. They were fancied beforehand. But St. Thomas has fired back and they brought it to extra time uh, with the scores at 118 to 250. In extra time, Ballygunner again took the initiative. They were three points ahead during extra time and still the Galway champions didn't go away. St. Thomas has got to the end of that game a point up and then Billy O'Keefe from Ballygunner saved them uh, until the penalty shootout. And it was Dara Burke, Aina Burke, Evan Duggan and Conor Cooney all scored their penalties to uh, get St. Thomas's into the decider. Um, the O'Loughlin Gales game, uh, they actually trailed Cushendall uh, by three points at half time, uh, but there was a wind at play there, and uh, they are obviously very good at winning narrowly, taking the Leinster Crown and the All Ireland semi by a single point. Uh, so, your All Ireland senior final will be O'Loughlin Gales against St. Thomas's. Mm. Let's move on to cross channel soccer in the Premier League. Still, no doubt, the biggest fixture in British football, Liverpool taking on Manchester United. And the last time they met at Anfield, it finished 7-0. Rather boring by occasion this time. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there was barely an ounce of drama throughout the whole game, scoreless. uh, Liverpool controlled the game from start to finish, at least in terms of possession. But considering the lack of clear-cut chances created by them, in some respects, United were controlling the the way the game was played. They they took the initiative and decision to not put commit players forward and leave space behind for Liverpool to expose. So when you set your stall out not to lose and you survive the first half, there's then a pressure dynamic that starts to irritate the favourites. In this instance, Jurgen Klopp decided to make a move to open the game up and try engineer a winner from the bench. So he took off Dominic Sobitzlai and uh, Ryan Gravenberg and brought on Joe Gomez and Cody Gakpo. The consequences of this was that Trent Alexander-Arnold moved more centrally, as did Mo Salah, and it actually ended up killing Liverpool's momentum and it opened the game up for United. And it then turned the crowd from the crowd from being like positively engaged to being tetchy and prone to frustration. You get these sort of like, oh, what a miss! Oh, you've wasted possession again. You can kind of hear and feel the groans. Um, not to say that as again, Liverpool were the dominant side here. They created more chances, uh, but with Garnacho and Hoyland both getting decent counter break uh, counter attacking chances in the second half, I wouldn't say they were any worse than the chances Liverpool created. Um, Now, I want to get us into something here. So, Will, we're going to hear from Virgil van Dijk, who, after the game, insisted that there was only one team trying to win. There was only one team, I think, that were trying to win the game, and unfortunately it didn't happen. 
but uh, yeah, so that's why it's frustrating because you know we want to win every game, of course, especially if you play against a team like them. How would you characterize those comments? Well, I know how Roy Keane characterized those <laughs> comments. He felt it was terribly arrogant. What do you think? Just that clip there. I know it's short. Uh, he's implying that United didn't want to win, um, which clearly I think they would in any circumstances. They're not the team they used to be. They are going through a, a difficult mm. patch. It sounds maybe a little condescending on his behalf. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's fair enough. I think what we're about to hear from Keane is the uh, outcome and evidence of a game that had very little to talk about and he's charged with talking about something afterwards and he's Roy Keane so he's got to go in hard on something mm. and there's nothing to go in on in this game in my opinion. So Virgil van Dijk gets it from Keane. Now he needs a reminder himself. He's playing for clubs who won one title in 30 odd years. He's saying only one team wanted to win. Man United are buzzing with the point. Man United are in a difficult place like Liverpool have been in a difficult place for many years. So maybe that bit of arrogance backfired on him today. I just think that he's he's done that because he's on Sky Sports and they have to they have to they have to generate some sort of debate and I could I, I was watching it live and I saw it in real time I was like oh the, yeah and then this guy comes over he argues the other case and gives Keane even more scope to get outraged and my God uh, and it just made me reflect on the late nineties early two thousands Keane's heyday as a player. He brought out um, his first book and he, he, he took aim at the talking heads on television and he promised everyone who read that book that he would never end up like them. And he couldn't be more of a TV broadcasting shill these days. It's just remarkable how things change. Do you think? Yeah, I've, look. I felt I was watching the clip. He was, I thought, a little genuinely peeved. Not massively, perhaps to the extent that it comes across they've won one title in 30 years or whatever the quote was but um, I don't know does Keane contrive I think he, he, he projects the genuine character yeah 100% the everyday man. I, I think he is the best performer on Sky Sports football coverage that they've possibly ever had he is so natural at being peeved and be, be, being unimpressed and being um, superior in the in the way he communicates himself, and don't get me wrong, like I think he's one of the best players I've ever seen in in, in my life, and he's he's pretty good on television, but uh, it just lacks plausibility sometimes. And I think there was nothing in this game to get uh, royal royal up about. The result itself leaves United trailing in the race for Europe. Uh, they're in seventh. And more importantly, it does mean Liverpool drop from the top of the table. Arsenal take over at the top thanks to their 2-0 win over Brighton. Uh, Liverpool are now a point behind uh, with Aston Villa level with them. Aston Villa uh, winning again. They are in red-hot form and um, I suppose they're the kind of positive news story so far. And Manchester City, OK, still very much in the title race, mm. but they would have been hoping for something other than their fourth draw in six games. Yeah. They were at home and they were 2-0 up and cruising against Palace and then one costly error means they're 2-1 and then they're under pressure. And finally, it was Phil Foden who kind of buckled under that pressure, flooding forward late on, trying to win better. Remember, they are winning 2-1. It's in the 92nd minute. They don't have to win 3-1 or by two clear goals. Foden has the ball. He's closed down by a couple of Palace players around the halfway line. And instead of accepting that and passing the ball back and maybe like keeping it, he tries to beat one of them. He gets dispossessed and then Palace get down the other end of the pitch. 
Foden, desperate to atone for the error of losing the ball, he chases back, gets a chance to clear it, and as he swings at the ball in the box, Mateta gets there, unbeknownst to him, before him, and Foden kicks him instead. Like, it looks so painful Mm. for both of them. You know one of those where instead of kicking the ball, you kick someone's foot? You hurt your foot and clearly the other person. Uh, but it's a stonewall penalty and Olise um, converts it with a plum uh, to get uh, to get the draw. So that's uh, Man City struggling to um, get any sort of momentum at the moment, but they still have Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland to come back from injury. Before we move away from the Premier League and perhaps on a human level, the biggest talking point of the weekend was Tom Lockyer uh, collapsing during the Luton and Bournemouth game and this is the second time he has been in difficulty from a health perspective and could it be the end of a career for him? It's You don't want to prejudge these types of things but we're not in a da- any danger of um, of uh, offending uh, the, the Lockyer family by speaking at this remove and you'd have to wonder you'd have to think that there is a chance he won't play again because it's the second time it's happened he collapsed just at the end of last season so recently in their victorious playoff final against Coventry for Luton he spent five days in hospital he got surgery to treat an atrial fibrillation uh, regular and abnormally fast heartbeat mm. and then this, um, the the on Saturday afternoon he collapsed in the 65th minute at the Vitality Stadium against Bournemouth much more serious this time yeah cardiac arrest yeah and thankfully like Christian Eriksen was uh, during the Euros he was treated very quickly and was apparently alert and responsive Mm. when he was leaving the ground in the ambulance but just what that would do to his family members watching him and uh, what it what it did to the um, opposing fans, you know, um, the opposing players, just seeing in unison how they all, how they, they're, they're all joined up in their own grief in that respect. It's, it was a really affecting thing. And uh, the, look, the good news is that the worst of it, um, he seems to be through it in that respect. Uh, how he goes back to play and how that gets justified medically, I don't know. I'm not qualified to yeah. say whether or not, but you would be surprised. Um, final word on the Premier League. Uh, Ian Wright's stepping down from match of the day. I think he was at this. He made his debut back in 97 or 98 as a player and then um, has been kind of full time for a very long time. He's gone through a couple of different modes as well. Been the jokester. And he he actually spoke about how as a a black man, like he found it very hard to get away from being the jokester on the panel um, and to have his football opinions respected. Mm. Uh, but he, the last you see, you see this with Micah Richards over on CBS. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. Um, but uh, he did really get himself into a position of of relevance over the course of his punditry career. Um, he says when he hit sixty, he just felt something happen essentially. Mm. But uh, yeah, he, he's uh, been a good contributor to the show for sure. David, unfortunately, we are out of time. You can find more local sport on midlands103.com and indeed David will be back at one o'clock. Thanking you. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands today. Midlands 103. When you consider all of the musicians to come out of County Westmeath and the wider Mullingar area in particular, is it any wonder people are starting to talk about developing a museum of music in the town? 
And according to the Westmeath Examiner, there are a number of local artists who are prepared to throw their weight behind it. Mick Foster being one from Foster and Allen. Also, Ray Dolan, who is the nephew of the late, great Joe Dolan. And no doubt, Brezzy and the Blizzards and the Academic and maybe even Niall Horan and others will uh, come out in support. But having the support of the industry is one thing. How do you make this happen? John Gagan is spokesperson for Mullingar Chamber in the areas of economic development, investment and tourism. John, good morning. Good morning, Will. Thanks for having me on. So, I suppose where to begin? You would need a business plan, you would need some uh, seed money to to put in the infrastructure to get the museum off the ground. How do you bring all that together and who would do it? Yeah, look, this this idea came out of the second meeting we had of the Destination Mullingar Group about two months ago. And, and basically we've established a, a large group of stakeholders in the town, which includes all the hotels, restaurants and bars and various people with businesses in the town centre. And top of the list at, at the meeting was the potential to develop a music museum in the town to bring footfall into the town centre. And and a very obvious location we thought was the the old Presbyterian church that's in the town centre that's for sale at the moment. And uh, we think it's a massive opportunity to, to deliver a project of substantial scale. And in early 24, we're appointing a tourism consultant to prepare a report around this and, and to put parameters around it and see how we possibly could fund it and who'd be behind it and how it would work. So your initial Fisher-Price ideas, would it, for instance, sustain itself through tickets, through admission? Would you need council support in all likelihood or or perhaps the Arts Council as well? Absolutely. I mean, the vast majority of museums uh, lose money. And and this one, we would hope, would not. We think it's, it's in a very specific area where there's massive global appeal and particularly the Niall Horn um, element is huge. And, and if he was to become a stakeholder in it, you know, we could accommodate some of the memorabilia there and we could certainly envisage large numbers of people throughout the year. We're thinking between 50,000 people and 100,000 a year could visit this amenity if it was delivered. And at the moment in Mullingar Town Centre, there is no museum of any kind really to recognise the incredible history we have in the music space. And we've just had the second best flat of all time this year, do you know? And, and the town is in a very good place for this opportunity, I think. And we just need to pull the, the stakeholders together and see, can we make it happen? Do you see this as just a museum for the artists of Mullingar and the, its hinterland or Irish music in general? I would think we could only really start with Mullingar. We've, we've enough raw material there to do a very good job with, with the artists I've mentioned. And the, the, the potential building we're looking at is quite small. It's not the biggest building in Ireland, but it would be a brilliant place to house memorabilia and, and artefacts around those musicians. And it could also double up as a very small, intimate music venue in the town centre. And I think when you look at the, the ongoing onslaught of online retail, and, and the struggle that retailers are having on the street, we need to be very imaginative in terms of what we do in our town centres. And, and tourism initiatives like this and museums like this, I think, are a big part of the future of how town centres are run. Well, we'll watch with interest to see the consultant's report when it comes, how it proposes to proceed from there. And no doubt anybody who's listening who wants to get involved, that effort and voluntary enterprise will be very welcome. John, a happy Christmas to you and to all the team at Mullingar Chamber. And you too, Will. Thank you very much. And congratulations on Winterfest, by the way. Lots of great pod, uh, comments about that. John Gagan. Now, time to win €100. Euro. 
It's time for the Midlands 103 Advent Calendar Daily Christmassy Question Midlands 103 100 quid to spend in the award-winning Shane Mar Butchers on Upper Main Street in Moat which is a modern butcher shop maintaining all the traditional values of the trade. They use their own abattoir to supply customers with the best locally sourced produce. So it is truly farm to fork. Today's question, and please answer by the way at midlands103.com, fill out that entry form, don't text or WhatsApp. How old is Kevin McAllister in the movie Home Alone? Is he 22? Is he 12? Is he 8? Or is he 6? Midlands103.com, that big shiny advent calendar banner, click it and you could be winning €100 to spend with Shane Marr Butchers on Upper Main Street in Mo.